Welcome to episode two for January 18th, 2021 of This Show is All About You. This is a show where that's really about where you and me become we and what that means for all of us. So I am your host, uh, J.D.K. Winnikin, and uh, welcome back uh, after a, a really fun first episode. And thank you to all of you who uh, sent in really positive feedback and questions and comments about that episode. And uh, last week I introduced generally what the story is about um, that we'll be talking about as we go here. Uh, but today we're going to talk about one single topic, telling the truth. What does that mean? Uh how do we do it? Uh, what are the various consequences of telling the truth or not telling the truth? And I realize that's a really, really big topic for a 30-minute show. So on some level, we can only scratch the surface with that uh, because it is a lifelong question and a lifelong quest uh, for us to understand the truth of things, capital T. And, uh, I mean, and every famous person in history practically has had something to say uh, about truth and telling the truth. Uh, a, couple of, a couple of them stand out to me, uh, a couple of quotes. One, for example, uh, if we are not ashamed to think it, we should not be ashamed to say it. That's Cicero, ancient Rome. Truth never damages a cause that is just. That's from Mahatma Gandhi. And so there's a lot of angles we can take, but I'd like to give you sort of just a general sense from myself of how we're going to frame this discussion uh, today. And uh, it's from a poem uh, that I wrote specifically for you for this occasion. And it's a very short one. It's a haiku. Between the truth and what I fear happening most sits all that matters. Between the truth and what I fear happening most sits all that matters. That's what we're going to talk about today. So there's two things here I think we should be talking about when we're talking about truth. One, we should be talking about the truth of facts maybe external facts, things that have happened in history, things that are happening now. And then there's what I guess what we could call the internal truth. Right? I talked last week about the triangle um, of things, the triangle of me, where each point is body, so, body, mind, and spirit, and that emotions connect those three points, and they move back and forth between the three. Uh, that internal truth, the truth of our own experience, the truth of what we're feeling, the truth of what we're believing in. That first one, the truth of facts, engages solely the mind, first and foremost. And then the second, that internal truth, builds from that. Right? We, facts can significantly produce emotional responses. Right? Uh, and as can believing lies can produce uh, really uh, powerful emotional responses. But that second truth, that internal, the emotional, the spiritual, if you want to call it that, that's that internal compass that I think we all have. And even though that internal compass is a part of us, I've learned at least, it's not only something that has to be listened to, uh, but we have to learn how to listen to it. We have to learn how to follow that. Uh, the facts of things, as we're having a lot of discussions right now in this country, the facts of things really matter. What is true and what is not factually about history, about things going on presently, about elections matters, for example. And yet, if we stop there, I don't think we're looking at the complete picture of certainly what I'm talking about today or what that means for me 
or for you, for we, or for us. Really what facts do, if you think about it, is that they set the table for a much larger discussion. And, and for an analogy, I'd like you to be thinking of a dinner party. Pretend you're hosting a dinner party. And you're going to bring in a lot of different people for this dinner party. And maybe it's going to be at your house. Maybe it's going to be at a place that you rent out. But here's what facts are. Facts are the time, the place, what the table settings are going to look like, what's going to be on the menu, what's going to be at the bar. That common set of experience, those factors that everybody who comes to this dinner party uh, will be experiencing. Everyone will be partaking in the dinner in the same space. And of course, like every dinner party, people will be bringing different things. They'll be bringing different opinions about the food, about the decor, about the quality of the drink. Uh, They'll have certainly their thoughts and opinions about it. And maybe they bring their own stuff. Maybe it's a potluck. Maybe everybody's bringing their own factual piece of something and has to bring it there. And of course, depending on people's palates, some people might think, This dish over here is too salty for one, too bland for another. It's a lot of different ways to view that. But the dinner party is really where all of the discussions are going to happen. And as you know, dinner parties are very different experiences if you are the host of the party or if you are a guest of the party. And but then, of course, then raises a really interesting question. What if you had a guest at this dinner party? who didn't even agree on the basic facts of what was being served, for example. Like they kept calling the beef wellington roasted chicken. Or they kept calling the gravy applesauce. What would you do? Just indulge me here. What would you do? Just think about this for a minute. Yes, they're clearly wrong. It's not roasted chicken. It's not gravy. And you're not the only one who believes that. You're not the only one who knows that. Never mind. Everybody else does. But what questions would you have if this came up? And then would you try to convince them otherwise? And what would that entail? Would you even try? What would be the purpose? I imagine myself sitting next to somebody saying, why are you calling that gravy? Or why are you calling that gravy applesauce? It's not made of apples. There's the applesauce right over there. Why don't you try that? What would be the purpose of that? Right? It's a very, very open question. But how would you engage them? If you were the host or another guest, how you would engage them might be different. What truth would you be willing or wanting to share? Would it be about the factualness of the facts that this is not roasted chicken? Or would you be focusing more on wondering what's wrong with them? How do you bring that up? How do you engage that? Would you be interested in what they're feeling? Would you be worried something was wrong? Take a good look at yourself right now with this and think of the mix inside you and how far away all of a sudden we've gotten from strictly the facts when we're talking about truth. Now we're talking about something else entirely. Questions about our own emotions, our discomfort, our bemusement. Might be wondering about that person's mental health next to us or their emotional health. All of a sudden, we're further away from simply factual truth into something maybe a lot more important, particularly for that person who believes that the beef wellington is roasted chicken and the gravy is applesauce. And that's generally here what we're taking a look at.
Now, over the weekend, I wrote a piece about this for on my website, wordsbyjdk.com. Um, click on my Sunday post on that main page, and you'll find it a uh, column called uh, When the Levy or Fever Breaks. And I talked a little bit about the importance of uh, historical fact and how we determine what is factual historically and what is not, and the importance that what we can learn from history about discerning the quality of sources, understanding who is writing a piece and who's not, understanding how a certain historical event has been assessed and talked about and written about and taught about, and how that can actually help us right now inform our conversations about what's happening in the country, what is factual, what is not. And so you can read about that there, and I don't want to rehash that uh, today, but I want to talk more about that second part, right? that part of the dinner party that's not so much about the facts and more about all the feelings that come up from that when there are disagreements about those basic facts, or more importantly, for our purposes, what comes up inside of us when things like that happen, when disagreements over the truth happen? And I'd like to submit, as my, as my uh, haiku at the beginning referred to, that that's really the important thing. If we have a sense of truth on one hand, what is true for us, what is true of a fact, or what is true for how we feel about something, how we believe of something, when we are unwilling to express that, or unwilling to confront that, it's usually, in my experience at least, has to do with the fear of something happening if we did so. Right? When you speak the truth to somebody that might be a tough truth, you might be worried, for example, of hurting that friendship or that romantic relationship or that relationship with the parent or a child. That can be an issue. But that mix that comes up with all of that, I think... We have more control over how we frame these things than I think we believe, or at least this is certainly true for me, and I'm wondering if it's true for you. A few more quotes that kind of illustrate this, that this is really a, a really, really big question. Do we simply just respond to our external environments and facts and feelings, or do we have the ability inside of us to frame these in ways that are much less destructive? I think it's true that we can. So, for example, a couple quotes. As we think, so we become. The Buddha said that centuries ago. From the Hebrew Scriptures, Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And the ancient Greek Stoic Epictetus, and this is a quote that I have up on my refrigerator at home. He wrote, as you think, so you become. Our busy minds are forever jumping to conclusions, manufacturing and interpreting signs that aren't there. <laughs> and what I'm suggesting here is that the starting point, whether we're talking about facts, what to do with them, or that dinner party scenario, in order to be able to understand that truth and the importance of telling it, we have to be truthful with ourselves first. Whether we're talking about facts or whether we're talking about feelings. Because if I believe lies about the world, about what's actually going on in the world, if I believe lies about myself, of things that people say to me, perhaps, over time, if I believe those long enough, that's what I'm probably going to call the truth. Or at least I'm going to operate from that premise after a while. And if I do that, it's going to shape everything about me. 
It's going to shape my attitude towards myself. It's going to shape how I frame my choices in life. It's going to frame my relationships and how they operate. It's going to shape everything. And so how I take care of myself in that regard, which voices, quote unquote, I listen to, is going to go a long way to determining how I understand the truth. And again, that triangle, body, mind, spirit, any one of those being out of whack or not being taken care of on a daily basis can affect what I focus on as the truth. And this just happened to me yesterday. Yesterday, I was more physically tired than I've been in a long time. Now, it's all from really good things. You know, I'm writing pieces for my website. I'm trying to get my book published. and I'm sending letters out to publishers. I'm uh, prepping for this show, uh, talking to a number of different people, uh, expanding my horizons. I was so tired yesterday. And I noticed in the midst of that, that because I was feeling scarcity in my physical health, I was really focusing on scarcity in my life. Rather than all the things that I'm doing that I'm really excited about, I was really focusing a lot on the things that I don't have and focusing on the feelings that sometimes can be really difficult. Doing a lot of writing the way I do is a solitary activity, and it can create loneliness. And so I was feeling a lot of loneliness yesterday. I was feeling a lot of frustration that I'm not further along, quote-unquote, in some of these things than I really would like to be at this point in life. And... Fortunately, I had the awareness yesterday to recognize exactly what was happening. And so I reached out to a couple of people. I told them what was happening. I kind of vented in about 15 different directions on things I was thinking about and feeling. I asked them for their input. (laughs) Their input was pretty good and pretty straightforward. It was, go get some sleep (laughs) as soon as you can. Pamper yourself the rest of the day. And so I did. I sat on the couch. I made filet mignon for myself for dinner. I took a nice long bath. I started a book that I've been wanting to read for a long time. And then I went to bed. And today I feel a lot better. And so because and because of that today, all that scarcity isn't there nearly as much. I'm aware of those feelings of loneliness and the frustration and the hard work that a lot of this takes. But it's not dominating my understanding of truth, the truth of me today. Now, with that in mind, okay, I've, I have a lot of experience in this idea of telling the truth from the opposite direction, historically. So you might be wondering, am I an, am I an authority on what it means to tell the truth? Uh, not in the academic sense, but I can tell you I'm, a, I'm an authority in an experiential sense on not telling the truth. <laughs> As I mentioned last week, uh, about 10 years ago, I, uh, I blew up my life. I'm a recovering addict and... Uh, All of that precipitated a movement into recovery and and rebuilding my life about 10 years ago. And that implosion resulted from a lot of what I just mentioned a little while ago. Believing lies about myself and then telling them to others, lying about uh, my behavior. And at its worst point, I had people talk about living double lives. I was just watching the the recent uh, documentary about Tiger Woods that that is out. And, of course, his fall from grace is very well known. And a big part of that was he was living all these different lives, lives that people didn't see, that his family didn't see, that his closest friends didn't see, that his family didn't see. 
I was watching that, and I could relate to a lot of that. Certainly not in, in the way that he did things, and he, of course, is one of the world's wealthiest people and looked very different from mine, but I had a lot of different lives going on. And here's the problem with not telling the truth to y- yourself, first of all, in this case for me. When I am not honest with myself about what I was struggling with and the things I was doing, of course, I had to lie about them to other people. Lie by commission and omission, not tell them things. Compartmentalize all these things. But the problem with that is that when you tell those lies, either by commission or omission, you have to keep those things going as if they are the truth. And it binds you to that. It binds you to that line. You have to hold it as true. At least I felt I had to hold it as true because like the haiku says at the beginning, the other side of that was what I feared the most. If I actually told the truth, what was my biggest fear? My biggest fear was going to lose everything that mattered to me. I was going to be humiliated and I would feel worthless and purposeless as a human being. That was my biggest fear. And so in believing those lies, I bound myself to them, had to pretend they were truth. And of course, destruction follows because what happens there is I had no personal integrity. I didn't feel any real value in myself. My self-esteem was shot. My relationships were very, very segmented. And I felt immense guilt, remorse, anger, terrible self-talk took over. And in my case, addictively, it was so overpowering because I was so afraid of those potential consequences that I just numbed it all out. When all of that ended, when everything did crash and my biggest fears did come true, what was most important about that wasn't that they came true. Yes, they did come true. But that I survived it. That was the big lie, was that I couldn't tell the truth because it would end me. That turned out to not be the case. And as Epictetus, Buddha, Proverbs all indicate, we get to choose, on some level, the narratives that we're going to have for ourselves. And when we choose those narratives, whether it's an intellectual narrative, an emotional, a spiritual narrative, then we build upon those things as if they are the truth. We bind ourselves to them. And the important thing about this is that our minds and our memories have plasticity. They're malleable. They can actually change. The more you behave a certain way, the more you can change your thinking. A really wise person once said to me, you can't think your way into new behavior. You act your way into new ways of thinking. And so if I did things differently, I could start telling myself a different side of the truth of my experience. So what the truth of that experience that I just described for you in detail has become is a truth that I can now share, like I am with you, about what not to do. And and if you are doing it right now, if you are in the midst of your own self-destruction, you can survive it. And you can do so by starting to tell yourself the truth first. We have more power in this than we think we do. So it might be a good spot to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll talk to you a little bit about practically some ways to do that, about telling that truth to yourself. Okay, we'll be right back on This Show is All About You.
Stacey Heller is many things, entertaining yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style. Practical, like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to StacyConnects.com. Stacy Connects, it's her superpower. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. All right, welcome back to This Show is All About You. I am your host, J.D.K. Winnikin, and we're talking about telling ourselves the truth. It's sort of the, the best way to start then understanding the larger truth of the world around us and each other and how to connect um, and really be at ease at ourselves and with others. Now, all the things I just mentioned all maybe all sound great in theory. Well, how do practically, how do we, how do, we do this? And, and I'm just going to share with you what has worked for me and, and take what you want from this, leave the rest. Uh, but it has proven to have worked for me. And so how do we shift this understanding of the truth of something in a way that's positive and helps that triangle of us, right? The body, the mind, and the spirit. Well, the first thing is when considering something about ourselves, particularly emotions, maybe a, a, a sentence of self-talk, uh, to pause, just to pause. Take a deep breath and pause before acting on it or thinking about it or, or really investing in it. And then once we pause, ask yourself the question, could I possibly be wrong about this? Could I be, is there a chance that I'm wrong about whatever this might be? And am I open to hearing that I might be? Alongside that, how does it feel to ask that question? Not in your head, right? but in your gut, in your heart. If you go right to your brain, at least in my experience, my brain wants to take me to relief, justification, rationalization really quick. And I hope that it'll overpower that churning in my gut or that, that sense of, uh, that sense of dis-ease or unease, I should say, in my gut. Go there. How does it feel? And what feeling is it? Are you angry? Are you upset? Are you scared? Are you uncertain? If you're like me, that actually might be a really hard part of this, to name the emotion. I had to learn how to do that. Once upon a time, I couldn't name an emotion if you held a card with the word written right up in front of me. I could read it, but I couldn't connect to it. And once you have that, notice something really important, because chances are this is going to be around what we would call a negative emotion. Sadness, loneliness, fear. Like, I want you to notice something. Notice that you are not dying. It's not killing you. For me, I always thought if I felt and allowed myself to feel and admit difficult emotions about my lying or about my loneliness or whatever, that it was going to kill me. Notice that you're not dying. And that matters. And then what do you do with that? And for me, I had to learn how to share it. I had to learn how to reach out to people and say, this is what I'm feeling. And it's, this is what it's about. And I'm making up all these crazy stories in my head about it. And I don't really want to feel crazy about it. And getting that support, getting that feedback, having people sit across from me and nod and be able to empathize and say, yeah, I remember feeling this that way myself once. It was like this. That's where the you and me become we. 
is in moments like that. And over time, learning how to do that, it helps us really then, I think, focus on what I think are two key things moving forward for us when we're talking about telling the truth. Honesty and informed consent. The honesty of what you're feeling, honesty of what you're thinking, even if it's contradictory to itself, even if it's kind of ugly, even if it's uncertain, even if it's fueled by heavy emotion. Can you be honest about how you feel, what you think, that you might have been wrong? And how do we want to grow out of that? And in order to be able to do this for others, I've learned I have to be able to do it for myself. So for me, let me list what some of those things are. I'm a writer that sometimes struggles with confidence. I have a lot of skepticism about the things, some things that I grew up with. I like to swear way more than I should. <laughs> I like it a lot. I'm not as good with money as I would like to be. I have difficulty being vulnerable. I feel like sometimes I'm being vulnerable, but then I get feedback from people that a lot of times I'm not. I battle perfectionism and what people think about me. I often give my regrets more power than I do my positive traits or my accomplishments. I also really like being kind to people. I like crying at movies. I like listening to different ideas. And then there are days where I want to disappear into a Nepalese monastery and never come out. <laughs> if you think about it, with informed consent, it's more about what does this person across from me need to know about something to get to know me. In a job interview, you have to be honest about your background. In a new relationship, if you meet somebody and they're really clear they want to meet someone and get married and you're not sure you want to, they need to know that. That's informed consent. With family and friend issues, informed consent that this is what you want to do and this is where you're going to go and this is what you believe in and this is what you're not willing to do. These are all really difficult things. And yet, that's the result of telling the truth to ourselves. Because when we tell the truth to ourselves, we can then share that openly and honestly with others. And that may connect us with others. And it might also mean we have to move on from certain people or certain situations or certain ideas. Well, there's a lot to that. And there's a lot more we can talk about it, and we will in the days ahead. But for today, thanks for joining me on this show is all about you. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. Chins up, everyone. See you next week.